Hello, I'm Martin Mercer. And I'm James Mastriani. You've never heard of us. We're two Brits who grew up in North London and have had varying success in the film and television industry. In our ever-advancing age, we find ourselves on... The The Wrong wrong Side of of Hollywood. In our series of podcasts, we'll share our experiences of what it's like being a British bloke living and working... Or not. ...in the biz. We'll discuss everything from fish and chips to things that wind us up. So stay with us. It's all uphill from here. This podcast may contain strong language. If you're of a sensitive nature or easily offended, we invite you to, as they say in Blighty, jog on. Thanks to our dear listeners like you, the Wrong Side of Hollywood podcast is made possible by donations from our Patreon members. Whether it be a one-off or a generous monthly contribution, why not consider heading over to patreon.com forward slash the wrong side of Hollywood. There you can become a member and have access to behind the scenes videos and other exclusive content. Thank you. Thank you. So, how are you? I'm not too bad. Getting back into the flow now. Can you say what you're working on? Oh, right, yes. Well, we do today's podcast with that celebratory feel as the strike is over, ladies and gentlemen. Huzzah! 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 Not that that means um, anything to me, sadly, but, you know. (laughs) Yes, well, maybe you will get a little trickle down into the trenches and we can shower that doesn't sound so good. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Does <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, so I'm working on this project and uh, I have been lucky, actually. It has carried me through the strike, fortunately. Okay. A few of my friends have had the little things I've been working on, but unfortunately for a lot of people, it has been absolutely devastating. And there's lots of charities. You've got the Motion Picture and Television Fund. You have the Actors Fund and all these groups and charities have been trying to provide mm. in this unprecedented time. And even UK and Canada and all over the world, people who are used to having an income working on these shows yeah. have been really been impacted. So I'm kind of celebrating at least that good news considering right. what's going on in the world. Right. Yeah. So we have a very good friend of mine. Yeah, your my, friend. My I don't friend. really know him. No, but he's been here many times yes. uh, for our Christmas eggnog soiree. And he's coming in today, and we are going to put him on the spot. Yes. And Michael So Rich. So Rich. Michael So Rich. Sour Rich. No, So Rich. So Rich. In fact, we'll ask him how you pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> but he has a vast career behind him doing voiceover and anime and acting as well so in hold front on. of the camera. Hold on. Now you say voiceover now. That tingles me a bit because it really does ring the old bell because I've always loved voices. I've always been intrigued by them. I think it's ever since the Muppets and, of course, Doctor Who and the Daleks. Yeah. Doctor! That probably blew your resistors there. Sorry about that. But I've always been fascinated by that. And I suppose I've had a little dirty secret that I wouldn't mind doing it for a job. But Mr. Sirich is the god of this and he's done so many shows so it's going to be fascinating to pick his brain not took us lack but just see how he started and everything absolutely and we've got a surprise for him we have gotten some goodies from the kuklamu greek bakery kuklamu 
Yes. And it is his daughter's bakery. He doesn't oh, know. She's a baker. This. Yes. She owns a bakery. Yes. Why have we not attended this and brought and or purchased or been given free goodies? Well, we have some today Excellent. and I'm going to present it like we've gone to a place. Yeah. yeah. And see if he recognizes her, <laughs> his daughter's cooking. That's fantastic. Yeah. So What's his daughter's name? Michaela. Michaela. Yeah. And where is this wonderful establishment? <laughs> well, I believe she is just starting out. Right. She's been doing this for about a year, so she's cooking out of her home. Okay. Made to order. She has an Instagram account where you can place your orders through that, which we'll put on Facebook when we eventually post this. Yeah. And all I can say is her cooking is fabulous. So. And this is Greek, because Mike and the family's from Greece yes, originally, right? Originally, yes. Wow. Mike, well, Michael was born here, so we'll... Talk about all things like that with Mike when he gets here. Yeah, can't wait. Really looking forward to this one. Let's bring him in, shall we? Let's wheel him in. Here we have with us today on the wrong side of Hollywood, my friend. Your friend. My Soon friend. to be mine. No, always mine, never yours. Michael Surich. Hello, everyone. It's such a pleasure to be here on the wrong side of Hollywood. Actually, it's in North Hollywood, so you are correct. You are on the wrong side of Hollywood. By the way, today's programming is brought to you by James Mastriani's Eggnog. If you haven't tried it, you need to buy it. <laughs> buy it? Excellent. Yeah. I like that. Yes. Please, at $50 a jar. Oh, it's so it's, good. It oh, it goes good it's the pure ingredients that make it so special. It is. It is. And you have been a proud sponsor of the Mastriani right. Eggnog for two years now. So thank you very much. <laughs> and supporters like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's the best, folks. If you haven't had it, you're really missing out. Your life is not complete. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate that yeah. vote of confidence there. We have a little surprise because usually we just start with our teas and our coffees. We got a little surprise mm. for we, we do. Now, because uh, now your background originally yes. is Greek. Yes. There you go. I was banged by a Greek. No, no, I wasn't. Uh, I, I'm actually a half-ass Greek because half my mother is 100% Greek. Right. And my dad was Slavic. Okay. And so in a sense, if you look at it, my ass, one cheek would be Greek and the other would not be. So I'm a half-ass Greek. <laughs> so how do you actually pronounce your surname? Uh, well, wait, now, which one? The one that I have now that they gave us at Ellis Island? Zarich. Yeah, it was it was Zarich okay. from, from Croatia. All right. And they changed it to Sorich. Okay. Okay. And then my mother's side of the family, they came over and they were Resopolos. And they became Racies. Which is good because I'm kind of a racy guy, but they put an S on the end, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Thank you for that explanation. Of it course. is usual for us to, as Martin said, have our coffee and uh, little nibbles. Oh, this, this is a good coffee. Yeah. All our guests have their own culture. So, so I went out to a Greek little bakery today oh. and I'm going to present that to you oh, now. I think I, I can't say I didn't... I did catch an eye of it, but I'm not going to say a word. Well, you know, I'm, I'm closing just, my eyes now. Yeah, well, well, James, get your balls out. I'm closing out. my I'm eyes out. Okay. I'm opening my voice well, yeah, you and my mouth. Yeah. I have no zipper on these pants. What? They're snap pants. Okay. <laughs> what are these, Michael? Luca Omades are basically uh, Grecian donut holes. Okay. You know, donuts 
have a hole in the middle, but there's a product called Donut Holes that they also have up in Maine and other, oh my God, so look at this, it's fantastic. Put some of that on it. So what's this, wow. what's this, what we got here? So it's fried dough, what I, what is, I don't know what this is, this is fantastic. That. It's got, um, it's got the walnuts, which are very, very, oh, and it's got honey, probably, it's probably honey and walnuts, right? It mm. is honey, oh. walnut, caramel. And they're warm, and yeah. they're still warm. Yes, I've warmed them up in the bionic toaster I find, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I am, I'm not as pro-almond as I am pro-walnuts. I grew up out in uh, Riverside County, which was a very agrarian area. And in the area that we actually grew up in became Merino Valley. Okay. And it was known originally as the Valley of the Giants. And that's not because there were giants that lived there. Oh. But it was because it was all walnut groves. Mm. So they had these giant trees. Excellent. And then they got rid of all those. And they brought in all the, oh boy, that's good. Just got a little lick and that was enough. Uh, and they brought in all the... Um, Can I have some of your balls, Michael? Yes, by all means. <laughs> They're puffy and brown. Good luck. <laughs> so, Mike, do you have an idea of where these are from? Where? Is it, this isn't all the way from C&K. No. Okay. This is all the way from oh, Kuklamu Greek Bakery. No! Yes. My daughter made these? Yes, she did. Holy shit. <laughs> Shameless self-promotion. Not at all. I reached out to her and I said, your dad's coming on tomorrow. Oh my God, that's so I sweet. said, would you be able to make something for oh us to partake? Mm. And now it's my turn. So Martin, you take over. Yeah. They are a donut hole, but mm -hmm. they're very soft with a very... Soft. Spongy. Spongy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But mm. there's a slight sort of a crunch with the... Um, what are these? These little brain nuts again? What are they mm -hmm. called? Oh, walnuts. Yeah. These walnuts and the honey, but it's not so sweet. It's not like balaclava. Right. So true. That's so true. You know, uh, the Greeks, a lot of stuff. Mm. We do the yogurt with walnuts and honey, and that is just a dive. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so much better than ice cream. It's better for you, you know? All right, Michaela, I'm, I'm tucking in now. Mm. Oh, these, these really are. Oh, yeah. That's really good. Mm. They're delicious. They're almost healthy. Now, I mean, what's funny about it is in. Some, oh in God. some of the more traditional Greek, you know, when you go to like a, a Greek festival, they'll have these and they'll be the size of a billiard ball. Wow. wow. But I think this is much more tasty because you can put it all in your mouth at once. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he claims. Mm. I'll tell you what, you could dunk these too. Uh-huh. Right. You know, certainly dunk your balls huh. in your drink. Oh, my little daughter. God bless her. My little Michaela. Remember? That's a story. So, she's so getting born. They're in Burbank at Providence Hospital. I'm there in the heat of battle. Mm -hmm. My wife is uh, fully effaced. She's about, you know, 10 centimeters. The baby's about to come out. The baby's about a week late. And the OBGYN, Dr. Frausto, turns to me and she goes, hey, how about you catch the baby? Do you want to catch the baby? <laughs> and I'm like, literally, my eyes got bigger than these Lucamadas. They got as big as a regular. And I'm like, what? I said, being, you know, the land of litigation, this is way before, it was like 30 years ago, but I still said, is that legal? <laughs> and she says, yeah, get down here. Come on, squat down. So I squat down, and sure enough, I want to tell you, that was one of the most magical experiences of my whole life. Hmm. You know, people always say it's magical when you're in the room when your child is born, but to actually catch her, and wow. she came out, wow. and she was big and red and wiggly and yeah. wet, and it was really like catching a salmon. So I've, always, I've always called her my little salmon. Now, there's a, a series called Dead Ringers, and I started watching it, and they had these very graphic birth scenes. Now, having attended my wife's birth, but it was a C-section, it's a little mm -hmm. bit different. But nonetheless, I was like, both me and Sal were looking at this going, oh, my God, that is just 
just I was going, it's only silicon, it's only silicon. But of course, when you're in that magical moment, that all just yeah. dissipates, doesn't it? And For it's sure. actually amazing. <laughs> Funny you had mentioned the C section when we had our first child, couldn't get the kid out. So they did a C section. Mm. And I'm up there and I'm looking at her face and there's, you know, the drape. Yeah. So you can't really see what's going on down yeah. below. And the other doctor was a very practical one, Dr. Dolan. She said, whatever you do, don't look below the drape. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Come on, I'm a man. I'm a strong guy. Don't give me this shit. I'm going to look below the drape. I looked down there and she had just slit my wife open. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she literally had her hand up to about mid forearm in my wife's guts. Yeah. And it was literally going, <laughs> and immediately I look back at my wife with this look of terror in my face, like, ah! <laughs> and she goes, I go, are you okay? And she goes, oh, I feel a little pressure. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my God, that's all you feel. This lady's in your guts. She's got bowling night going on in your colon. What the hell? It was, so I was very happy. That's all she felt. Oh. So epidurals. Try them. Well, I tell you, when my first wife was pregnant, we went to all the Lamar's classes and everything, and they were showing all the videos of like the natural birth and all this kind of stuff. And again, all this stuff's in black and white. And I was like, yeah, that's that's cool, that's cool. And then they showed the C-section one, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to pass out. Oh, yeah, people do. People and, do. I see yeah. that side of blood again. And, and that was in black and white. But when in the moment they said, don't look beyond the curtain. The drape. Yeah, the, the drape. drape. Yeah. Don't, look, the drape. The drape. don't look behind the curtain. Yes. The and curtain. of course, I looked behind the curtain and? and they had neatly laid out all of her inside so they could Like a picnic. It. Yeah, like a picnic <laughs> table. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Kidneys, what? I don't know if they were, but I'm like, oh, that's that, that's well, that, that's well, that. Were you prodding them? No. <laughs> Pointing <laughs> them with a stick. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was okay. In the heat of the moment, it was incredible. But the thought of it and looking at all those right, Lamar's yeah. videos, I'm like, nope, thank you. Not interested. But anyway. Yes, what marvelous tea time talk. There yes. You go, perfect. But what did I want to ask you you can ask me all you want your resume is huge <laughs> Which is, yes well my wife knows about things that are much smaller <laughs> that's all i'll say on that one but you've been in the business since 1976 mm. you started out during the smurfs right the magic flute right that was a one-off these guys came up with a brilliant idea actually that was in like 19 i want to say 84 because in 76, I graduated a year early. I could have graduated 16 if Miss Stacy Phillips hadn't have flunked me on my American history. That's <laughs> so funny. In her classroom, it was set up there on the wall, the famous Santiana. Those who ignore history are condemned to repeat it. You know, very and it is true. It's a great mm -hmm. phrase. It really does make a lot of sense. Yep. But <laughs> I failed history, so I was condemned to repeat it. I mean, I wasn't condemned to repeat <laughs> it, but it kept me from graduating a semester early. So after that, I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts up here in Los Angeles. At the time, the campus was in Pasadena. They were trying to loosely associate with the Pasadena Playhouse, but they really had no connection. They were just there to make money. And I did a year there, and after that, you had exam plays at the end of the year, and they gave you a couple of roles. They brought in guest directors, and then they put them on, and then they judged as to whether they thought you were worthy of coming back for the second year. And I was deemed unworthy, which made total sense. I was 17 years old. I was in an apartment by myself. I was, you know, enjoying all of life. Did you, um, <laughs> just to interject, if I may, what got you onto this path? I mean, was it particularly your voice? Was it, or was no. it acting as general? And how did that uh, well, happen there, there, at that well, age? There's two schools of thought on that. The first one is that both my parents were in theater. They were. My parents oh. met at the Art Institute in Chicago, the Goodman Theater, 
where my mom had got a full scholarship. She was a poor little Greek girl, one of like a family of 13, but they weren't all alive at once. So it was really like a family of nine. But she was so outstanding in drama that all her high school instructors got together. They pooled their money to get her up there for the first year, which was wow. I, just I think it was just so great. Yeah. And then my dad had done all kinds of stuff. My dad had been in vaudeville. Hmm. He was from Chicago, big city boy, South Side. And when he was 14 years old, he started doing like basically what we would call stand-up nowadays. And he was tall, good looking. He didn't look like he was 15 years old. He looked like he was a man. He looked like a young man, but he looked like he was a man. But he ended up getting a gig on, at that time, it was a thing called the Major Bose Amateur Hour. Major Bose Amateur Hour was a forerunner of a thing called the Ted Mack Amateur Hour, which was on television in the United States in the late 60s. But it wasn't amateurs. And all these people were getting paid. And my dad was making $250 a week during the Depression, 1938. $250, that's a lot of money, no? And his dad was making $200 a month. Wow. And he got to meet like a lot of super luminaries, you know, Ed Wynn, Ted Healy Stooges before they were the Three Stooges. Wow. Mm -hmm. And every night he would get a cab home with Bill Bojangles Robinson, wow. who was a headliner at that time. Of course, he was magnificent and fantastic. But it's so sad, it shows you the social commentary of it all, is that they would make him wait in the cab while they dropped off my young white dad because he was black. Oh, And oh, then wow. they drive him home. So right. it didn't make any sense, it really mm. sad. Mm. Anyway, so they met at the Goodman Theater and my mother was working in the library and she said, and in walked the most gorgeous man I'd ever seen. <laughs> my mother's very theatrical. Your mother's <laughs> No amazing. wonder I get it. So anyway, and she said, so I locked the door and said, you're not leaving here until you kiss me. <laughs> and I tried that with James, but it wasn't in the library with no. a rope and Colonel Mustard, so I don't know what happened. I don't have a clue about that. But, but to get back to the, the Smurfs and the Magic Flute, that was Atlantic Releasing Company. And they came up with this brilliant idea of, wait, all these young kids are off on Thanksgiving weekend. They have mm. a couple of extra days. So their parents will take them to see a little crummy movie. And so that's when they premiered it. And I think it was a Payo product. That's the guy who actually created the Smurfs. Or as they actually know, the Smurgans. Okay. They're from Belgium, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was Smurgans. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, that was just one movie. The TV series, I believe, was already going... So they probably got that for about $2 million. And that weekend, they grossed like 30 or $40 million, wow. which at that time in 86, wow. that was huge. Yeah. Right, right. And we, of course, did it non-union, didn't make a cent. But what was funny is in the credits, I'm not credited <laughs> correctly. I actually was the voice of Papa Smurf. But Mike Reynolds is credited with that. Hmm. And, and I was Papa Smurf, and I was also Sweetie Smurf. Mm, talking this about one's called Sweetie. He likes to eat sweets. Dessert is a course that he always repeats. Eating up goodies is my kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have, that, I have that whole... That's what happens when you're ADD, guys. I'm a DAD that's ADD. So, so there you go. I noticed on one of your credits, you actually credited as Mikey Godzilla. Yes, that was my nom de scab. If I was afraid of getting busted, what I mean by nom de scab for you people out there is that it's your name for when you're doing non-union work because right. you wanted credit, but at the same time, you didn't want to use your real name because at that time, SAG was very militant about that. And they still are, of course. They try to scare the bejesus out of you, but, you know, it doesn't I'm work. Talking of that, I yeah. mean, we are celebrating the final... Yeah. Release the strikers oh. AI, AI, <laughs> I owe you AI. Now, how has it been for you during this quite shitty time? I have been time, very been lucky because I direct stuff, and some of the stuff that I direct has been non-union. 
specifically uh, stuff coming out of China uh, mm -hmm. for Tencent, which is a huge, mm -hmm. huge entity in China. They're the ones that created WeChat. And they have these ongoing video games that they keep adding material to. One is called Honor of Kings and the other one is called Arena of Valor. And apparently they're most popular in the Middle Eastern countries, mm. like Saudi Arabia, mm. in the Emirates, right. all over there. Huh. Does any of it air over here? Or I think it, it does. I think you can probably find it on video, but it's not exactly Call of Duty. Right. <laughs> but that's kept you going throughout this I would period. call, you know, I call, I call it a sandwich gig. And a sandwich gig to me is, it's not enough to pay your rent. It's not enough to pay your mortgage. It's not enough to make a car payment, but it's just enough of a sandwich to live every right. day. You know, so it's, yeah. it's very substance. Right. So among your voiceover work, mm -hmm. which you've done both for anime and video games, you've also been a full-on actor. You know, James, I thought you wanted to go to bring up Fidel. I, I told you about this. I've told you thousands of times. <laughs> you do not mention this in front of the peoples. Well, I wanted to ask you, what was it like? Uh... Well, first I want to ask you, are you communist or simpatico? <laughs> are you or are you not? I ain't got my eye on you. <laughs> I shouldn't make fun of the accent, guys, but uh, yeah. <laughs> It's a terrible thing because you're basically playing a modern right. day Hitler. You know, people say, oh, yes, but, you know, in our society, we see Fidel as funny and comical. But to people in Miami who had family there, right. to people who were actually political prisoners for 20 years, yeah. it's really not that damn funny. And it's a shame because it was a big moment for me. It was a watershed. Right. I did a lot of Fidel Castro. I was going to say, you've played him four times. More. More? Okay, wow. let's see what you got. Let's I, see. Okay, I've got Seinfeld. Right. Married with Children, right? Seven Days, yes, and opposite Bob Hoskins in Noriega, God's Favorite, right? Ooh. And then also I did Sybil, oh. they, but they didn't give me any lines, of course. I also did Super Dave, Be the Man, the movie. They had me next to the Queen of England. Oh, uh, in, in Sybil, they had a, next to this guy. There was a plumber from down in Orange County, and he looked just like John Paul II. I mean, just like he him. was a plumber. Yeah, and so the whole idea of that particular episode was kind of interesting. Uh, Brian Keith, unfortunately, later did commit suicide. Oh, yeah. He was supposed to have died, and he was supposed to be an agent for all these lookalikes. So it was at the funeral, and all the lookalikes showed right. up. So all the people in town that did lookalikes, they were all there. Right. And so they decided, hey, you know what's a great idea? Let's have Fidel, as he's coming in, have his arm around the Pope and tell him a joke. And so, so they said, what do you got? You got anything? I went, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So you do the rehearsal, and I come in, and I go, not ping pong balls, King Kong's balls! Ah! And the whole crew, of course, burst into laughter. They'd never heard such a thing. And they was like, oh, yeah, that was great. And I look over at the writers, and the writers are looking like someone shit in their punch bowl. <laughs> They're all like, what, what, what? we didn't write that And Sybil is like, oh, why are people laughing? Did oh, someone say something funny that wasn't me? Oh, I'm like, oh. She didn't say that wasn't me, but that was old. Yeah. It was her show, not my show. Right. Right. It wasn't right. the Michael Soren show. It was called yeah. Sybil for a reason. And you upstaged it. Yeah, Excellent. I did. The director comes over and goes, Mike, can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> Here's the deal. Uh, what you did was hilarious. You hit it totally out of the park. But, um, well, the writers, they're not happy with this. So uh, let's just have you do a laugh as you both come in instead of doing the punchline. <laughs> so, you know, it was one of those. I also did the Martin Short show. Oh, right. Martin Short had one where it was the same concept. Martin Short did this thing where he was a German guy who was the Martin Short lookalike. Right. And so the whole bit was, and by the way, Martin Short, one of the sweetest people you ever want to meet. It's like, you always want to believe that all your idols are that way, but let's face it, 
And they're just like regular people. Some of them are nice and some of them are, but he was absolutely outstanding. He came up to each one of us before we shot and she, hi, I'm Marty Short. I'm so, thank you for being on my show. And That's he no, was just such cool. a sweetheart. Yeah. But anyway, the concept was, you know, I am, I'm the Marty Short lookalike. And, you know, I was, you know, the Tri Amigos was very big for me, but now there's been a slide since Marty's not doing anything. So, so I want to drive, I want to drown my troubles at the lookalike cafe. And he goes to look at my cafe, and it was me as Fidel. It was a guy as Michael Jackson. I'm pretty sure it was Wally Winger as Austin Bowers. Oh, and they get into a knife fight. <laughs> Michael Jackson and Austin Bowers. Yeah, baby! <laughs> and I'm just sitting there being Fidel at the table. Oh, that's so And awesome. then the other ones I did was a Marcatel commercial down in Mexico. That was when it first really started. And that, to me, was a great honor because Americans have an image of Fidel. The Mexicans had active dealings with Fidel. They knew what he looked like. And so I felt honored to be able to go and do that. And then the other one I was saying was the Ellen Gonzalez story. Mm. I played opposite Esau Morales. All right. And what's funny is in this scene, it shows you the power of editing and who's the star in the scene. I challenge anyone to find a piece of footage of me in that scene because <laughs> not only did they shoot him on the reaction, you know, on every one of my lines, uh, your son, Elian, do you wish him to uh, come to you here in Miami or do you wish him to remain dear? It's this whole thing. But I don't think I'm in the scene at all. We're going to have to research that then. Yeah, we, we got to see if there's any shots of me at all in that. Yeah, it was a I Fox think. production. That's too It must funny. be interesting to be in that situation. You have this talent, you have that, especially with the voice, and yet you have to put a lid on it many oh, times. Oh, so many times. That's, that's got to be painful. Here, here's another yeah. lid story like that. In the old days, uh, and I mean really in the old days, children, in the early 80s, they were still making game shows. Yeah. And I got a job writing funny material for a game show called Sweethearts. And Charles Nelson Raleigh was the host. And it was basically, the concept would be like, if to tell the truth, we're done with three different couples. And each couple would tell how they met. Well, two of the couples would be imposters. One would be a real meeting story. And right. So then the three celebrities would ask them questions like on to tell the truth. Yeah. Well, what about this? You said you were on the Mexican Riviera. Where exactly were you? Yeah. You know, things like that. Anyway, so I had that background. And then there were other production companies that were creating game shows as well. It was still the halcyon of game shows because there was a guy named Mike King who was a huge distributor, King World. Hmm. And the thing is, if he said yes to your show, then it was going to be on in like 80 markets in the United States and you were set, you had funding. Wow. But anyway, the point was that they would actually have you go in and actively run these shows. You'd be like professional contestant. You wouldn't get to be on the show as a contestant, but you would go in so that you figure out the scoring and, and what end game works well and all this kind of stuff. They're working out the kinks, so to speak. So I finally got over to one at Goodson Todman and I made it to the pilot because they would do pilots. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. they would show it at NAPTI. They right. would go to NAPTI either in Las Vegas or New Orleans typically. And they would go there and they would show it to King World. And he would give the thumbs up or the thumbs down. So I was working with Gene Rayburn. And Gene Rayburn was the old school guy, the Match Game 75 with the long pencil microphone. And he was big time, mm -hmm. like Jack mm -hmm. Berry was. So I started doing jokes and stuff, and everybody is laughing like crazy. You know, I'd be in the contestant, but I'm still like, just a little jokes. And so then we took a break, and the producer comes over to me and goes, Hey, Mike, um, once again, can I have a talk with you, Mike? Uh, hey, listen, um, I just want to let you know, um, nobody is funnier than Gene Rayburn. And I went, oh, are you kidding? God. Did you listen to what I was just doing? Come on. You hear the laughs I was getting? No, no, no. Of course I was. I go, no, 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 no. 
I want you to hear me. Nobody is funnier than Gene Rayburn. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> Bring it down. <laughs> Bring it down. I'm going to say that to you, Martin. Next time you're laughing at your own jokes. Bring it down. <laughs> so right. that was a whole experience. <laughs> and I've had other experiences like that. You know, when I was living in San Diego, going to San Diego State, I competed in a stand-up competition. And the winner of the competition, it was for our magazine. Remember? Gary Collins and Marianne Mobley. Okay. They had their own show called Our Magazine. And the winner of this stand-up competition got to go to New York and do an episode on Fridays, Lauren Michaels' show. Remember oh, that one? Okay. The one that started Michael Richards and a few other people. So it was one night, and we went audition to, to get into the finals, and I got into the finals. And it's funny, you know, as a performer, I think most people have a sense of when you're in the actual moment mm -hmm. and you're hitting the home run. Yes. And I've only had about, I'll be honest, I've had about two or three of those moments in my whole career, honestly. You know, where you really, really hit it, you just know it's like there was nothing better. And that was one of those nights. That particular night, I was a local college student. No one had seen my act. Nobody knew what I was doing. And I came in, and it had to be three minutes long. It couldn't go any longer. So in three minutes, I did Gilligan on LSD. And I did 20 voice characterizations. I did all the cast. Gilligan, come on, little buddy. You're a sailor. Slip on it. Well, blow me down. You know, it was like it was Popeye. It was everybody. And at the end of it, I literally got a standing ovation. They literally stopped the show, said, let's take a little break because nothing's going to be better than that for now. And the second half, Whoopi Goldberg was in it. Oh, wow. And Whoopi Goldberg, you know, God love Whoopi, man. She put a lot of time and effort into helping people. And they all knew of Whoopi and her community outreach. She was doing improv with homeless people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? She was giving to the community so much. And she came out and she sat on a chair and she just kind of smoked a cigarette and talked about King Kong at the time. So the energy was way low and stuff. So now I was like, okay, we're down to the finals. Here we go up on stage. We need Michael Surge. We need Whoopi Goldberg. Goldberg. They go, and the winner is, <laughs> and it was Whoopi Goldberg, of course. Right. Because nobody's funnier than Whoopi, Michael. And I, I'd be nice to I blew a freaking gasket. I was like, what do you mean? I was literally <laughs> said, give them who they want. Come on. <laughs> I think I should have been Sam Kennison. Like, hey, hey, what are you? But, but it didn't work out that way. So I saw her many years later. I apologize. She goes, yeah, you were real tight that night, Mike. Because <laughs> <laughs> we used to see her perform all the time. She would perform with a guy that we used to do improv with down in San Diego. A guy named Don Victor, wonderful improvisationalist and great teacher. Don Rickles, you say? Don Victor. Oh, Don Victor. Sorry. And they were known as Victor and Goldberg. You expect to see a couple of old Jewish guys come out, right. and out comes this skinny white guy and a black woman. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> they, were, but they were great together. They were very, very funny. And then from there, I became an announcer at SeaWorld. Hmm. And what was really great about it was at that time, they were just developing wireless microphones because you were near the water and stuff. They didn't want any cords and stuff. And I would work the dolphin show. But the thing that worked on this was that the receiver was so far away that there was a delay of literally a second and a half. Mm. So whatever you said, you didn't hear for a second and a half. And so oh, it taught you to just keep talking. Don't listen to what you're doing. Just do it. <laughs> it was crazy because you go, and now here come our little, and now here come our, oh my God. <laughs> and there's a great show there. It was one of those shows when you're trying to learn something that's multitasking. The first time, you know, you go in for training, you see, you go, oh my God, I'll never be able to do this. 
And it was this show called Belinda the Beluga Whale. <laughs> and it involved girls in scuba gear dressed as mermaids. Okay. It involved a white beluga whale and a sea lion. Mm. And they would shine lights on them and be honest, this is the story of Belinda the Beluga Whale. She wanted to turn all the colors of the sea, green like the kelp, <laughs> gold like the sunshine. And then what happened was, of course, the animals would act up. So then you had to like go off script, right? <laughs> and the thing is, not only were you saying it, but you were also running lights and you were running a cart machine for the music. You're all at once. once. So you were doing all of this? Oh yeah, oh, and I'll tell you, man. The first time I saw it, my buddy, Don Cotton do it. I was like, I'm never going to be able to do this. <laughs> and within a couple of weeks, yeah. you learn to do it. You yeah, just learn. Pretty fast. Yeah. So you went on to announce another well-known Oh, group. yes. Well, wait, there's one more in between. Oh, okay. First of all, I moved to Los Angeles. I got my heart broken by my girlfriend. She went to Europe without me because, you know, I, I can't go. I've got this job at SeaWorld. And everything was great. And then all of a sudden, the last four days, radio silence. <laughs> and she comes home. I'm there in L.A. in my best three-piece suit. And uh, that was it. She was like, uh, yeah, I need some space. Uh, oh, what do you mean? I, I, Lisa, I... Uh, uh. Uh, uh, yeah and a week later Pumped. this guy from Canada shows up named Peter and they go where I eat they go where I work out they were everywhere oh, no. <laughs> snap out of it Mikey come that, back to us that's what happened this, my downstairs neighbor Vaughn and Bobby they were great great neighbors he comes up and he goes Mike what's the matter you sound like did somebody die in your family? Because <laughs> I was like, just going, eh, eh, eh. I said, no, Bobby. <laughs> Lisa left me. <laughs> That's all right, Mike. You're a good guy. You'll find somebody else. <laughs> and he was right, I did. But anyway, so that was Christmas time, and I moved up to Los Angeles. And I answered an ad, actually, I think it was in Variety, for show announcers at Universal Studios Tour. Ooh. And not the tour guides, but the Universal Studios Tour. So this is like I stepped into a job that was pretty plush. You know, you worked about, I guess, about 15 minutes out of the hour. Wow. And you were making like... Two fifty a day, which was good money. That's good right, wage. Uh, because the tour guides walking backwards, I don't think they were getting twenty bucks an hour. Maybe they were. Hmm. So that'd be one hundred and sixty dollars on a day when you're busting your ass, right? You're talking hmm. the whole time, and within a couple months, all the tour guides found out that I had been brought in from the outside, Ooh. and once again, they were not pleased. So hmm. my call for the director of entertainment said, "I'm sorry, you know, it's not." It has nothing to do with the job you're doing, but I'm going to have to let you go. Wow. So I thought, okay, back to variety. I'm going to find another job. Okay, let's see. Hmm. Okay, what's this? All right. Hmm. Okay. Roller skating MC. <laughs> Roller skating MC. Chippendales. Well, okay. I don't know. I, I think I know what Chippendales is. I don't know. So another zoo, yeah, another zoo is right. <laughs> so I went from look at that dolphin to look at that stuntman to look at that beefcake. <laughs> so here's how I get the job. It's very funny. The guy who was one of the actual creators of the Chippendale show was a man named Nick Denoya, and he was a lovely guy. He was an intense Italian guy. From, I'm not sure he's from New York or Philadelphia. I believe he was from Philadelphia. But anyway, so he was the one that was making the decision as to who was going to get it. And so you went through an opening round of auditions, and then he wasn't there for that. He just came in for the final auditions. And so 
I had never roller skated in my life. My mother was always, you'll hurt yourself, you'll break your neck. No, you can't have a bicycle till you're 18. Well, yeah. You know, that's that that like, really what? Okay, mommy, yes, take my little niblets. You know, whatever. So anyway, he came to town and he said, okay, be there at two. So I get there at two and it's me and one other guy. And the other guy is up there now. And I shit you not, this guy was the U.S. indoor roller skating champion <laughs> for two years. Two years he had won it. So he's out there, he's doing like Christy Yamaguchi. He's doing these like, wow! He's doing like eight or 10 spins and he's going backwards. Da, 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 da. But of course we had to also say the dialogue. Right, right. So his skating, oh my God, A+. Plus. But his dialogue, his spiel is like, eh, I'd say C+. Plus, oh, you know what I mean? He wasn't right. a great talker, mm -hmm. he was a great skater. So he gets done and he leaves, takes his skates and he goes. So then Nick turns to me and goes, hey, all right, you're up. Where's your skates? And I said, um, uh, Mr. Denoya, I, uh, I actually, I, I don't know how to roller skate. He goes, you don't know how to roller skate? No, no, I don't. Okay, great. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to stand and put your hands behind your back like you're ice skating, okay? Yeah, yeah. And then you're going to hop on one foot twice and then hop over on the other foot twice. And the whole time you're hopping back and forth, I want you to do the spiel. Right. And so I'm hopping back and forth and I'm doing the spiel. And of course, I was A on the spiel, you know. So I get down. And it's one of those few times when I've ever heard, okay, you got the job. You got two weeks to learn how to skate. Get out of here. <laughs> that was it. And then I went on to skating in the club for, I, I want to say I was in there about a year and a half. And then I had a falling out with the owner who, Everyone had a falling out with the owner. He was a, a homophobic, racist guy mm -hmm. who was from a minority. So I don't know if that makes any difference. But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, and what he would do Humans. is he would, he would wait till he owed you a lot of money and then he would fire you. Uh, and then you'd say, but what about my money? Well, come after me in small claims court. His name was Donald? His name was <laughs> Steve Banerjee. Wow. And, and that story gets really weird. Yeah. I still need to write that book because it gets really weird. May I ask, with the Chippendales, I understand you're looking at males on mm -hmm. their parading, but it's not the full Monty, is it? You didn't no, have to No, no, no. Well, now it's interesting because there's the difference between a G-string and a T-back. A G-string is actually a string going up the backside. Not stakes, then. Uh, no. <laughs> no, nothing like that. And a G-string is actually a little material at the top of the ass. Right. For lack of a better term. <laughs> but which is actually, it's a legality thing. Right. In some places you could do a G-string, in some places you could only do a T-back, depending on where we were performing. Uh, long story short, uh, <laughs> it, it gets kind of tragic. Steve Banerjee actually wanted to own the show, and he hired a hitman. What? And, and Nick DeNoia was murdered in his office. Hey, In, in the New York Chippendales corporate office. This guy came in and goes, is Nick DeNoia here? And she goes, no, he's at lunch. He goes, well, I'll come back in an hour. He came back in an hour and shot him in the face twice in his office. And oh, my God. Fuck? Yeah, Steve Banerjee got his comeuppance, though, because... Eventually, they found out, and he got charged. And while he was waiting for sentencing, he was so freaked out about the idea of being in prison, mm. where all these guys might have their way with him, right. that he hung himself Jeez. to death in the holding cell. So, oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, I did. I had to bring it all down. Didn't <laughs> yeah, I? You, you but, took me from the highs. But wait, and it better. So then, when he fired me, all the people in town found out. Oh. Michael Sorge is available. So the guys from the Hollywood Tropicana, which was across town, it was a girls review kind of uh, thing. They did mud wrestling. Oh, they did mud wrestling. I'll so I said, come over, we want to put you in our show. So I go in there and I'm watching the show and it's basically, imagine doing this for a living. 
<laughs> James. <laughs> there's all these guys. I'm there, man. <laughs> there's all these, there are all these bachelor parties coming in because they want to mud wrestle with the girls. Uh, and they're getting like totally shit-faced. And then you have to make them bid against each other. So you're like an auctioneer. What? And I was just like, this is not like being with the ladies. <laughs> I'd much rather be with the ladies and roller skate around them. So what happened was I told them, no, I can't do this job. So they go, wait, 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 wait. But we really like what you do. So um, we're actually sending a group up to Canada. Would you be interested in that? Ooh. I went, yeah. <laughs> is it with girls? And he said, oh yeah, it's with girls. And I go, there's no mud wrestling? No, no, no. There's another concept. Completely different concept. I go, okay, what is it? Foxy boxing. I? I'm like, foxy boxing? What do you mean? He goes, well, the girls get out there. They put on these gloves the size of pillows and they box. It's like a wrestling match. And I'm like, really? And I get to MC this? <laughs> so, so I said, yes. I went up there and spent about four months in Toronto at a place in Mississauga. It was called the Hollywood Palace. And it was owned by a guy named Benito. You think I would have figured out what was going on? <laughs> Benito's driving a Ferrari when gas was $8 a gallon. Jeez. Benito was paying me in sequential $100 bills in an envelope at the end of every oh week. My God. Oh my and Lord. it took me a while to figure out what that meant. <laughs> he had two houses next door. The girls were in one house. We were in the next house. Myself, the lighting designer, and the DJ. And oh my God, but it was such a hoot. That's in madness. I know. Oh my and that leads to my second comedic home run, which was we're there one night and there's these two girls. One was British and she danced for the Shah and stuff. She had all this like fancy jewelry from dancing okay. in the Middle East. And what happened was they'd come out and they'd do an act. Hmm. They'd strip down to a bikini. Oh. Then they'd go backstage, put on a T-shirt with nothing on top right. and then their bikini bottoms. Then they would come out and fight each other. So it was always the same people fighting the same people. So... She was always in black lace. So she was Lady Knight. <laughs> and then there was this very attractive young lady from Southern California with a totally tan, chopped liver skin. And she would come out all in white lace and she was Lady Day. Okay? <laughs> so the thing is, the way that you would get these people involved that they loved so much was you would pick two guys out of the audience to be their managers in their corner. And what you do is, you don't have these guys with a spray bottle. Oh, so it became like a wet t-shirt card. These guys are spraying those girls as hard as they can for the wet t-shirt effect while they're fighting. So this we is got before this the one guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got this one guy up there. And he was like six foot seven, six foot eight. But he was just like like baby Huey. He's just like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, as he walked, you see a blah, 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 blah. And what happens is he's in the corner Road spraying time. the girl. She's downstage on the right. And his pants are not too tight. And so he's bending over and he's spraying oh. her. And the lighting guy takes and he shoots the follow spot <laughs> right on the guy's ass crack. And as soon as he does it, I say, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we're seeing a battle between day and night. And this asshole's trying to show us the crack of dawn. <laughs> and people literally fell out of their chairs laughing. It was just That's magnificent. Crazy. That's oh too funny. So how did you parlay from that into doing voice work? I was already doing voice work. Oh, you were? Here's the deal. I had a friend when we were down in San Diego, a lovely name named Anita Hamilton, and she was Puerto Rican. So she came up and immediately went into work because there was so much stuff wanting to be translated and dubbed into Spanish. Okay. So then she called me and she goes, hey, you do a lot of those funny voices. Why don't you come down here and audition for this thing? You'd be right for it. They're dubbing it into English from another language. Right. And I went down there and that was it, man. So at what point in your life did you realize you had a talent for doing different voices? 
Oh, much earlier. Much earlier. Uh, I was imitating the principal when I was in second grade. You know, because we'd hear him on the morning announcements. <laughs> right. This is the principal. He sounded like this. So I was in the back of the classroom going. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> yeah. And the teacher goes, goes, Michael, I want to see you after class. It was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to leave it there because we're in danger of Surich being more funny than me and even you, James. Indeed. All right. So, before we go, we bring you our... Fuck chat. Fuck chat. Fuck chat. Fact check segment. Here, with the benefit of hindsight... And editing. We can own up to our mistakes. Martin, you said balaclava. <laughs> I think you meant baklava. Ah, that's so tragic. There's no excuse. I'm. Uh, right, I have to correct myself. Yes, I really do have to correct myself. And I'm talking Stanley Kubrick, The Shining Correction. Um, apparently, I wasn't at my wife's birth. That would have been quite interesting. I was going to say. <laughs> I was at my son's birth. Now it all becomes clear. Yeah. <laughs> God. All right. I'll see you next time. See you next time, mate. <laughs>